We've been in the midst of a sermon series here at Mount Hope called The Strange Series of Messages. And I've called it, entitled it that, uh, with this in mind, that when someone chooses to follow God, it's inevitable that it'll change the way they think, change the way they act. And sometimes that might seem a little strange to the world around us. Uh, even this morning, thinking about the baptisms, that, the testimonies that were shared by Natalie and B, talking about how Jesus came into their life, and that changes things. And sometimes those changes might look strange to the world around us. And so we've talked about a strange series of messages. In fact, one of Jesus' first followers, a man named Peter, he wrote in a letter this verse here that says, live your lives as strangers here. In other words, he's saying... It's always going to feel a little strange when you're a Christian, and you're always going to feel like you don't completely fit in, and if you ever feel like you do completely fit in, then you might want to look at what's going on in your life, because you should never feel completely at home in the world that we live in here. Uh, Peter was essentially saying, for Christians, our real home is in heaven with God our Father, And we'll never feel completely at home here. So if we ever get the feeling where we feel completely at home here, we'd rather be here than there, then it might be a time to examine our lives a bit. So we've talked about this strangeness in general for all Christians, but then we've been looking at how it applies to specific people. A couple weeks ago, I talked about a message called Strange Men. And many of you ladies were away on the women's retreat that weekend, and so I took that opportunity to talk to the men about strange men, and I promised that I would also talk about women, and so this morning, my message is strange women. The title alone makes me want to just stick right to my notes and not veer off because I just feel like at some point within this message, I'm going to say something that may not come out right when it talks about strange women. But I promised I would. Now, I recognize this is a daunting and perhaps foolish task to undertake as a man. (laughs) Thought about that. It sounded a lot better in my notes a couple months ago when we were talking about it. But I also know this, and I realize this, that the Bible we turn to as God's word given to us, the word that we live our life by, was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit by about 40 male authors inspired by God. And that word is God's word to men as well as to women. And uh, obviously, women are an important part of God's creation and make up somewhere between 65 and 70% of churches on a given Sunday morning. So I thought this is a topic that needs to be spoken to. And uh, so uh, I'm going to wade uh, where angels fear fear to tread, maybe. Um, I did, however, take maybe one step of wisdom this week. I thought if I'm going to speak to women, I probably ought to get some women together and talk to them about what it's like to be a woman following God and serving and uh, trying to uh, follow Christ in the midst of this world. So I got together uh, uh, about eight or nine women earlier this week and talked to them and asked them some questions. And and we talked for about an hour. We probably could have talked for two or three hours, uh, but we talked for about an hour and about this. And it was very insightful and eye-opening for me. Uh, and helpful for me. And in that time, one of these women said to me, I thought she gave me some pretty good advice. She said, Pastor, look, 
If, if all else fails, just give out chocolate. <laughs> and I thought, that's not a bad idea. So I thought, I'm going to start my message that way. So the ushers are passing buckets down your rows <laughs> that have chocolate in them. I'm, I'll let the men take them too. Um, you can take a piece of chocolate. And if nothing else, you get out of this message this morning, there's a piece of chocolate for you. For those of you that don't like chocolate, I even bought white chocolate in there. So, um, so you can have a little Hershey kiss. And if you get nothing else out of today, you went home with a Hershey kiss and some chocolate. So, so I thought I'd get things started off right. The very idea of strange carries the idea of different from our surroundings, right? When one thing's not acting like the others in life, we say, that's strange. When everything else behaves one way and yet something sticks up, we say, that's strange. If you go to cut your lawn and there's one patch of grass with blades standing up and you say, that's strange, what happened there? If you bake a batch of cookies and all of them taste great except one, you say, that's strange, what happened there? When something's different from everything around it, we say that's strange. In order for something to be strange, there needs to be a group of things that are similar and then something that sticks out as different. And it also, I think in our world, when we're talking about strangeness, implies that there is a pressure to conform. There's a pressure for whatever is strange to look like everything else around it. There's a pressure for that thing that's standing out as different to look like everything else. And I think as on us as people, but especially as I've been learning and praying and talking and reading this week uh, about uh, women in particular, that there are pressures that uh, come on women in different areas, and sometimes these pressures come from the outside, and sometimes they come from inside, but there are pressures to conform. Pressures to not look strange or to stand out. Many people recognize these pressures, um, not just people in the church. There are many people outside the church that recognize there are all kinds of pressures on women in our society, especially on how they're to look and how they're to act on a certain way. I came across, maybe you've seen this, it was a couple years ago, um, that uh, Dove Soap ran some commercials uh, trying to bring attention to this pressure that women often feel to conform to the images that are put before them. They were pretty cleverly done commercials, and I know they're advertisements, but at the same time, I think they bring attention to a pressure that women feel. Let me show you one of them this morning, uh, and you get a look at this. I thought it was done pretty well on the pressure that some women feel. Go ahead, John. <laughs>
And this, I think, was a clever way to bring attention to a reality, right? We all see the billboards. You all see the pictures. We all see the... And you think, oh, well, there's just a woman who happened to be in front of a camera. They snapped her picture, and that's what she looks like. And yet you see through hundreds of makeup artists and others and hair and everything else and then hundreds of pictures taken and just one chosen and then one photo that's doctored and changed and added. And so that the photo at the end looks almost nothing like the person at the beginning, but one of the pressures women live under in our day and age and in any day and age, really, because it's even in Bible times, you see it too, is the pressure to look a certain way, to dress a certain way, pressure on their body image to be thinner or to have more curves or to look in a certain way like the women around them. Some feel this pressure um, to be one way. Others feel it to be another way, but very few people will deny that there's a pressure, that there's something out there on the way that you look, the way that you dress, that to say is that you should look, act, and dress in a certain way. In 2008, Fitness Magazine polled 1,000 women and found that women were willing to take drastic step to reach what they felt was their ideal weight. 23% said they would have been willing to spend a week in jail. 23% said they'd be willing to shave their head. 21% of respondents said they would trade 10 years of their life. I don't know how serious they were, but even to put that down on a survey in a magazine to say 21% said they'd be willing to trade 10 years of their life if they could hit their ideal weight uh, or whatever that is and whoever defines that. I mean, that's pretty startling. I mean, that kind of pressure to be living under, to conform. The average woman in America sees about 3,000 ads each day many of which send messages about the ideal female body should look like. But 98% of women are not as thin as the fashion models who supposedly have the right body type. The average American woman is 5'4 and weighs 165 pounds. The average Miss America winner is 5'7 and weighs 121 pounds. And how many of you women, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, just compared yourself to those statistics? Right? I mean, this is what we do. This is the pressure, right? I just read those statistics, and you are already in your head comparing yourself to figure out where you fall, and there's this pressure that women often live under. It's not surprising, then, that 42% of first through third grade girls want to be thinner, first through third grade. 81% of 10-year-old girls are afraid of being fat, 70% of 18 to 30-year-old American women don't like their bodies. 60% of women in middle age still remain unsatisfied with their bodies. 50% of girls use unhealthy, weight, uh, unhealthy measures to control their, try and control their weight, such as skipping meals, vomiting, taking laxatives. Nearly 20 million women will suffer from an eating disorder at some point in their lives. Pressure on how to look pressure on what to look like, and there's this external pressure on women especially. I'm sure, you know, men, if you're sitting here, you say, well, I feel that pressure too, and many men might, but I don't think men feel it to the extent that women feel it in their lives. And so it's, uh, there's this pressure to conform. But there's also pressure not just on how to look, but how to act and what to do or what not to do, Right? Maybe uh, pressure if you're working, pressure on what you do for work. 
pressure for girls maybe from an early age saying, well, you should be uh, this or you should be that because there's not enough women who do this or that and you need to be in this field or that field and putting pressure on girls even when they're young to do certain things. Maybe when you're in the workforce, there's pressure to be perfect. There was a survey that Hewlett-Packard did and they did a survey of their employees and they found this out that men will apply for a promotion or a new position or a new job when they feel 60% qualified for that job. The the men will apply when when they feel that they're at least 60% qualified for a job that they'll feel confident applying for that job. What the same survey found out is that women would need to feel 100% qualified for a job before they would apply that they would, they would have to feel 100% qualified. They have to feel like they perfectly meet all the expectations and all the criteria before they're going to put themselves out there to apply. And there's this pressure in acting. I feel like there's this, and, and this really hit home with me, I think, this week, talking to women, reading some books, a pressure for perfection in almost every area of life. In fact, one of the books I read this week that was helpful for me that you may be interested in uh, was called The Cure for the Perfect Life, written by two Christian women uh, about this idea of trying to always live life uh, in a way that measures up to a perfect standard. But many women feel this standard at work. There's a pressure to be perfect, and then a pressure at work. Um, in the workforce, not just to make as much as possible as their male counterparts, but to deny or delay some of their unique aspects of women, say in giving birth or nursing their children, so that they don't lose status in the workforce, lose time in the workforce, or lose competitiveness in the workforce to some of their male counterparts. And so there's pressure there, not to leave the workforce maybe for a lengthy amount of time, not to take time away from work, but to continue to stay in it at times, that pressure can be there as well. Then if they're in the workforce, maybe they have a husband and children, there's pressure that they feel uh, that they they need to maintain at home. Some women may feel the pressure to justify their working outside the home instead of just saying, this is how God has gifted me. This is how God has created me. These are the gifts God has given me to work and to be in this field that God has called me to, and yet they may feel called in some ways to have to justify being in the workforce. Then there are some women who are not in the paid workforce but do their work at home, full-time raising kids, taking care of the home, and many of them feel the pressure of the home but also feel at times, maybe I should be working. Maybe I should be in the workplace helping bring in an income. I do have these gifts, but we've decided now is the best time for our family to be at home with the kids, and yet every time someone asks the question, what do you do for work? What do you do at home all day with the kids? They might feel this pressure in the other direction. And then there's women that feel the pressure on both sides. They work outside the home and feel the pressure to perform and be at their best when they come home and are expected to perform and be at their best in their home responsibilities. Seems to me that we went from June Cleaver of the 1950s to the working woman of the maybe 60s, 70s, 80s to now the woman who can do everything and do it all continuing to add expectations on, but never taking any away. 
continuing to add on top of things that now that you do this, you can do this, 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 but very rarely taking, never taking anything away. Gets to the point that one woman in our meeting said this, every single day I have failed someone. Every single day I have failed someone. There's this mentality that no matter how good you've been at work or how good you've been at home or what you've done at church, you can go to bed at night knowing that you let someone down and not knowing what to do about it. There's the pressure to be perfect and the weight of perfectionism that many women live under every day. Some will justify, I'll try harder tomorrow. Some will throw up their hands and say there's no point. And so they give up trying. But very seldom is the question ever raised, is perfectionism the problem? Are the expectations the problem? Very few people might ask, is there a problem with the system? The truth is, perfectionism is not Christian, it's just crazy, is one of the things that these ladies stay in this book, The Cure for the Perfect Life, and I agree with it. Sometimes we elevate this standard of perfectionism But the truth is, perfectionism's not Christian, it's just crazy because nobody can meet the standard. It might look a little, uh, one woman, Jill Brett, an author, said this. She says she wakes up, sometimes she has the fantasy uh, like this, that your little ones sit quietly at the kitchen table and hum along with Beethoven. (laughs) They absorb their age-appropriate encyclopedias. Meanwhile, you recreate the map of the U.S. using homemade sugar cookies. Ah, you think to yourself, this is what life's all about. She says, the reality is your little darlings simultaneously shriek mine as they rip the latest Bob the Builder coloring book in two. Between loads of laundry, you smell smoke. You rush to the kitchen to find a slice and the slice and bake cookies burning in the oven. Fed up, you stand at the counter and remember the days when you thought you'd actually spend your life doing something worthwhile like being a brain surgeon by day and a lawyer for the poor by night. Pressure to be perfect, pressure to do everything, pressure to perform, pressure to please. And many women, and you might be one of them, feel that they labor under this pressure constantly. There's a place in Scripture that describes a short interaction in the life of Jesus. It's not very long, but a short interaction in the life of Jesus that involved two women These two women approached life and especially a chance to have Jesus in their home in two very different ways. It's kind of an unusual interaction, actually, when you think about it. It's one we're probably pretty familiar with, but it's kind of unusual to have like this little moment in the life of Jesus with just two women. That in itself is unusual, but then also that it kind of gives this glimpse into daily life which we don't have a lot of that in the life of Jesus, but it gives us quick and short glimpse into daily life of these two women when Jesus comes to visit. Their names are Mary and Martha. And this is what records this short instance uh, as Jesus comes to their home, and it says this. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care 
that my sister has left me to do all the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but only one thing is needed. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. I won't ask you which woman you feel more like today, Mary or Martha. I won't ask you which woman you hold up as the hero in this story, because I'm sure there are some of you going, yeah, Martha, go Martha. And, uh, but the truth is, I think all of us, men and women, but especially for women this morning, at times know what it's like to be Martha. Martha, after all, is not doing a bad thing. She's doing what she feels is necessary. And if she didn't do it, then it wouldn't get done. This wasn't just your average Joe Schmo who stopped by unannounced. This was Jesus. I mean, imagine the pressure you feel in your home when your family's coming over and stopping by. Or some friends stop by unannounced. This was Jesus, son of God, miracle worker, the whole famous in all the kingdom, stopping by. So if you feel pressure on your house when it's just anybody stopping by, imagine what Martha felt when Jesus starts to stop by. Oh, and by the way, he's got 12 other guys with him. And so that's the pressure that's on. Suddenly you, re- you realize the floor is dirty. You notice the cobwebs on the walls. You see all the toys that are left out. And maybe that's just when your family comes, but this is Jesus. He's been doing miracles for people and everyone wants his time and he just stopped by your house. Martha, perhaps, like many of you, shifts into high gear. She prepares to pull out all the stops. She gets married. She says, okay, we didn't expect this, but we can do this. We've been getting ready for this moment. We didn't see it coming. Mary, it's going to be tough, but this is what we've been preparing for. This is the big time. So we'll pull together. We'll do this. Let's bring it all in together for a pep talk. They put their hands in. Proverbs 31 on three. And they break. And they're going to pull it off. Mary, this is what we've been waiting for. It's showtime. Showtime. And isn't that what's really the problem? The problem's not getting the food ready to satisfy someone's hunger. I think Jesus is in favor of that. In fact, Jesus at times will say, you know, you know, it's a blessing to feed someone when they're hungry and give someone a drink when they're thirsty. That, that's not the problem. The problem isn't wanting to show hospitality or love to someone. Jesus applauds that in, in other places. That's not the problem. The problem is, for Martha and for many women, is it's always showtime. Or at least it always feels like showtime. The curtain goes up, the alarm goes off, the music begins, and it's showtime. Of course, the music sometimes sounds like do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do, and it's circus showtime. But whatever your music sounds like in the morning, it goes off, and the show starts. And the pressure's on to perform, to do things well, to be perfect. 
homework's not done, well, we'll get that taken care of because they might think that I didn't help you do the homework or I'm a bad parent. Well, we got to get that taken care of because it's showtime. You get to school, you're not presenting your work, you're presenting my work, and so it's showtime. You know, whatever it might be in your day, you know, the homework thing, that was one, you know, Wendy and I, we, we, you feel that pressure as a parent, right? And at some point, I finally opened up the realization and went, wait, this is their homework. This reflects on them. But why does it take it on us? Take it on you? Feel like, oh, wait, this is a judgment. This is something on me. Someone's coming over and the house has to be perfect. Everything's got to be ready. I remember when we were, when we were uh, newly married, Wendy and I were living in a one-bedroom apartment up on the North Shore, and, uh, and it was a tiny little apartment, and it, I mean, we didn't have a lot of stuff, but, you know, it doesn't take much stuff to clutter a little one-bedroom apartment, and it was, we felt like it was, like, constantly messy, and I remember one conversation with my, uh, my mom said to, said to Wendy, she said, oh, your apartment, your house is always so clean, and, and Wendy's quick response was, we know when you're coming. I mean, that's, right? I mean, we had, we had like a 30-minute, even if they were going to come last minute, it was a 30-minute drive. You can clean up, you can throw a lot of stuff in a walk-in closet in 30 minutes. Because <laughs> it's showtime. Someone's coming by. Someone's coming by the house. And so it's showtime. The problem for Martha is that Mary doesn't follow the script. The show begins and Mary walks off stage to spend time with the director. Perhaps at first, Martha just thinks she's being cordial. And she, maybe she thinks, oh, good, Mary, good for you, distract them. I mean, get them settled so they don't see what's going on behind the curtain. And I'll get things started back here. But then times goes by and Mary doesn't come back. My guess is, I wasn't there, but my guess is that, that things haven't changed all that much. And I think what happened is Martha probably started banging some pottery around a little bit harder than she would have to give Mary a hint. Hey, get back here and help me. Mary's not getting the hint, and she realizes, then she realizes that Mary doesn't get it. She's not coming to help. She's just being Mary again and talking with Jesus while I'm here doing all the work. So Martha goes to Jesus to register her complaints. She does what my kids do. She essentially says to Jesus, It's not fair. Mary's not doing her work, Jesus, so tell her to help me. The problem for Martha is that Mary doesn't follow the script. The problem for us is that Jesus applauds Mary and not Martha. Problem for Martha is that Mary doesn't follow the script. The problem for us is that Jesus applauds Mary and not Martha. Because many of us can identify with Martha. Many of us, and I think many women, live their lives, hey, there's stuff that's got to get done, and someone's got to do it, and so I'm going to do, I'm just going to put my head down, and I'm going to do it. See, don't you kind of want Jesus to applaud Martha? Don't you kind of want him to say, okay, Mary, enough, Martha's right, now go help your sister. You know, this has been great, but go help your sister now, run along. Let's say, okay, Mary, that's enough. Good job. And don't you want to say to Martha, good job, Martha. You're always helping everyone all the time. Good job, Martha. And we kind of want that, but the problem is for us that he doesn't do that. But he doesn't say that. He says, Mary, 
has chosen the better thing, which means that Martha has chosen something less than better. It says Mary chose the better thing, which means that all that Martha was doing, whatever it was, good, bad, and different, whatever it was, it was something less than better, something less than the best thing that she could have been doing in that moment. But what Martha's doing seems totally normal, doesn't it? Somebody has to get to cook the food. Somebody has to get the room ready. Somebody's got to provide the water and things for washing up. Somebody's got to do the work. What Mary is doing is sitting at Jesus' feet and talking and listening. With all this work to do, Mary's sitting on the couch hanging out with Jesus. What Mary is doing seems odd, seems weird. What Mary is doing seems a bit strange. Yet Jesus says it's better. It seems strange back then in their day and age. Martha didn't get it. Seems at least as strange today in our day and age. Seems strange to take time out when there's so much work to be done to just sit and at Jesus' feet. Mary put Jesus first before anything else and anybody else. And Mary allowed Jesus to set her agenda. Strange women put Jesus first and allow him to set their agenda. Strange women in our world and in our society with all the pressures that are on women to perform and be perfect and get it right and look a certain way and act a certain way, the truth is that strange women will put Jesus first and allow him to set the agenda of their life. And that's strange. Because the world has all kinds of things that should come first in your life. All kinds of people that should come first in your life. You might say that sounds kind of obvious to put Jesus first. It's nothing. I thought there'd be something more earth shattering. It Maybe it is. But are you doing it? See, knowing it and doing it are kind of pretty vastly different things. Strange women put Jesus first. Mary saw that the better thing was to soak up every moment she had in Jesus' presence. She could do all the stuff later or perhaps never, but there was a moment she was not going to miss. She might regret not doing the stuff Martha was doing, but she would for sure regret if she missed time with Jesus. So she put Jesus first. She might regret not checking off everything on the task list, not getting everything on the to-do list done, but she knew she would regret if she missed the moment with Jesus in her home and spending time with Jesus. As strange women put Jesus before people, Jesus is more important than other people, including family. Jesus is more important than your husband if you're married. He's more important than your parents, more important, hear this, than your children. Because I think that's one that's strange in our society and in our world. Our society might say that, you know, some things might come before some relationships in your life, but there are very few things in our world will say should come before your children. In fact, I sat down with people on numerous occasions, just talked with them about their life and about God and parenting. And when I say that, that Jesus has to come before your kids, it sounds strange to them. 
because it's odd in our world. Nothing comes before your kids. Many ways, and the Christian circles are no exception, children become idols in our world and in our day. Jesus comes before your boyfriend. Jesus comes before your friends. Jesus comes before relationships in your life. I remember before I had met Wendy in college, uh, I, had, uh, I had, it was the end of my uh, sophomore year, I guess, the end of her junior year, I was convinced I had met everyone on the college campus and there was not a woman that was there for me or at least one that would be willing to date me for a long time. And so <laughs> I had come to the conclusion that I wasn't going to meet anybody and I was okay with that and I would just trust the Lord and trust Jesus. And it's funny how it's not until you come to that moment sometimes that God brings someone in your life to say, okay, I've been waiting for that. And I think sometimes in our life, God's just waiting to make sure that he's first before everything else, before everyone else, that we get that right in our lives. Strange women put Jesus before everyone else in their life. So the task list might not get done. The people, you know, there, there's, there's, there's things there that you say, well, I need to do this because they're depending on me. Mary wouldn't miss time with Jesus. So you say, well, what are you saying, Pastor? Am I supposed to get up tomorrow, knock everything off my schedule, and say the whole day is prayer and Bible, and it's just me and Jesus? Maybe. I'm not going to say that's what you're not supposed to do. I think a day like that's pretty good every once in a while. But you can't do that every day. I understand that. You can't take the whole day, every day, and just spend time with Jesus once in a while. I think that's great, but you can't do it every day. But you also can't let the whole day go by without spending any time with Jesus. I'm not saying you take the whole day, every day, to, to just knock everything out and say, forget it. But how often do you let the whole day go by in Martha mode? and miss the merry moments with Jesus. Strange women put Jesus before people and they put Jesus before everything else, before work and career. What you do is important, but who you do it for is so much more important. Doing your work out of your love for the one who gave you the work is very different from doing it for your own advancement or achievement. Glorifying God with the gifts that he's given you in your mind, your hands, whatever way God has given you to work, that's wonderful. And you, in order to be a good steward of those gifts, it's important that you use those in a, in a certain way for him. But doing it for him is even more important. The work you do inside or outside the home is not as important as who you're doing the work for. Because you can be working inside the home and be just as off from your time with Jesus and your merry moments as those who are working outside the home. Either one can become a place where you miss moments with Jesus. Mary also let Jesus be the one who set her agenda. Martha was running around the house, Jesus says, worried and upset about many things. And Mary listened to Jesus. Martha talked to Jesus, lectured Jesus, tried to correct Jesus. Mary let Jesus determine and define her tasks. There are many people in your life who will try to define your tasks and set your agenda. 
The world around you will try and tell you what you need to be doing and why you need to be doing it. Your own inner voice will tell you the same thing. Other people have their agenda for your life. But a strange, strange women put Jesus first and allow him to set their agenda. So what does this look like in your life every day? What does it look like to put Jesus first and let him set your agenda? There's a couple of verses that I think apply in this, in this situation that aren't necessarily written particularly to women, but I think women um, maybe perhaps need to hear them in a sermon towards them. One is this Colossians chapter 3 Talk about putting Jesus first in your life. Paul writes, since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. And this passage and this verse You know, just a reminder that these earthly things, these earthly molds and shapes that people will try and push you into, I think Paul in this verse is reminding, look, your ultimate focus is on Jesus. Your ultimate moments are merry moments. To set your minds on him, the fact that he died for you and that one day you will be with him in heaven to keep this perspective, to keep your mind on things above because so often, I think our minds, and particularly today, maybe women's minds can be such a place that it's often on things that are earthly things. How do I look today? How do I want to look today? What is that person thinking about me? And it's not all this way all the time, but there's a pressure. What do I need to do today to, to perform? What do I need to do to today to excel? What do I need? And, and, and Paul just says, look, set your minds on things above. And what does that mean? I think it doesn't mean necessarily changing your task list, though it might mean that, but it means taking your task list and asking, what is it that God has me doing today? How can I do it in a way that glorifies him and is loving to the people around me. There's another verse that I think is important. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. Not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared for us to do, which God prepared in advance for us to do. There's a couple things regarding this morning's message that jump out at me. First, grace, for it is by grace you have been saved. It's not all women, but I meet a lot of women who won't give themselves much grace. I think there's a lot of times that uh, if you feel like you've got to hit 100% of the qualifications to apply for a job, what that is, there's no grace there. There's very little grace, sometimes to ourselves and from God. It's not by works that you're saved, but the last thing, this last part of the verse, which God prepared, good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has works that he has created for you to do. And so there's a couple of questions that I think are important to ask. And this is, one of these is this, is this a task I was created to do or just a task I created to do? 
is the things on my agenda. When you get up in the morning and whatever your agenda looks like and whatever your task looks, looks like and whatever the, the schedule looks like, kids, work, whatever it is, is this a task I was created to do or just a task I created to do? Is this something God has uniquely gifted, called, and put me in that I, that I can do this for his glory? Or am I just doing this because someone else is expecting it of me and I'm people-pleasing, I'm performing, I feel like there's just perfection standard that I need to hit? Am I just creating tasks that need to be done? Or am I doing something God has created me to do? You say, well, what does that look like? Well, it's a statement that Wendy and I uh, use in our house that maybe can be helpful. It kind of looks like this. Done is better than perfect. Done is better than perfect. Done doesn't, done doesn't mean you do it, have to do it sloppily. You can't do it with excellence. But done is better than perfect. Do I sometimes not do something because I can't do it perfectly? Because I can't perform? Because I can't hit the mark? And I'm creating tasks for me that God isn't necessarily put before me, but because I think I need to do it perfectly. So yesterday, we're out raking leaves. Maybe some of you were too. You know, we're out raking leaves. We're raking the yard. We raked the yard. And we got it. Well, we didn't get it done. But we almost got it done. But we got a part of it done. And we did it well. And it was done with excellence. But it wasn't perfect. I mean, there were still some leaves there that could have been raked. There were some extra things I could have done to make the lawn look a little bit better. But done was better than perfect. And I think at times, when we're looking at our task list, we're looking at what's out before us, at times we have to say, what has God put before me that I can just do and get done, even though it's not going to be done perfectly? Is this task something that I was created to do or just a task I created to do? Am I doing it because of love for people or because I want people to love me? Am I doing it because of my love for people, love for others, or am I doing it so that people will love me? Is this a task that I'm doing to make much of God and others or so that others will make much of me? And these aren't always easy questions to be honest with ourselves about because we can always justify, can always justify another hour spent doing this, another few minutes spent doing that. We can always justify a little bit longer, but am I doing this to make much of God and others or so others will make much of me? And finally, I just want to leave with this based on these uh, another verse that I don't have up there this morning, but there's a verse that says, he who began a good work in me will be faith, in you will be faithful to complete it. Finished for today is not the same as finished forever. Finished for today is not the same as finished forever. When you go through your day and you feel like I've always failed somebody, there could be this pressure. There's this pressure on you that I can never get it right. I think the reality of recognizing that finished for today doesn't mean finished forever, that God is still at work, that you are still his daughter, that you are still a work in progress, that he is still, he has not finished with you and today isn't the end of his work with you. That finished for today is not the same as finished for. I think so often we confused finished for today with finished forever. That we think the end of every day 
I have to be perfect at the end of it. And finished for today is not the same as finished forever, that God is working, for we are God's workmanship, and he is continuing to work on us. Um, a couple weeks ago when I was speaking to the men, um, I, shared, I shared the fact that in my house right now, I'm the one that's doing the laundry. Um, and it wasn't always that way. It just happens to be the way it's working out right now. Well, Wendy did the laundry for a long time, and now I'm the one doing the laundry. I don't mind it. I kind of like the laundry. I mentioned that. It gives me something that I feel like I accomplished, if nothing else. But I told you that day that, that Wendy says something to me. You know, when I get the laundry and I get it, get it up and get it done, and she, she says, you know it's never done, right? And that's true, right? But I tell her, don't tell me that. I don't want you to tell me that it's never I know it's never done, but don't tell me that because I need to have this moment right now. And this moment is, it's done for today. It's done for now. And it strikes me that it's the same way in our lives. And it strikes me in thinking about this message for women in Mary and Martha moments that at the end of the day, you might come to say, you, say, you know it's never done, right? But it can be done for today. And you lay your head on the pillow, trusting in God's grace, in God's providence, in God's work, that it's done for today. That not everything was perfect, and those things you trust to God's grace. Some things you did really well, and those things you pray were to God's glory. But not everything's done but it's okay to be done for today, to experience God's grace and God's embrace in your life. And so strange women put Jesus first and they let him set their agenda. And what that means in your life, you'll have to apply it to your life, your schedule, where you are. But there's a world around you that wants to set your agenda. And there's a world around you that is going to constantly try and put things in front of Jesus. And so what does it mean for you tomorrow? To put Jesus first and to allow him to set your agenda. Because you might, for a short time, regret not getting that one more thing done, not getting it to look as it looked on Pinterest, not getting one more project started. And we're coming into a season of year, right, where this is just ridiculous, this pressure. Because now you're expected to do everything else you are doing and just add on like 20 hours a week more of shopping and decorating and parties and all this stuff. And just keep doing what you were doing, but we're going to add this on and do it all well and do it great. And so we come into this time of year, and you may regret for a short time, I didn't make it to that party, I didn't make it to that, I didn't get the gift for that person, I maybe could have come up with something better. You may regret that for a short time. But don't, at the end of it, come to the place that you didn't spend time with Jesus and regret that. And regret that you put other people and other things in front of Jesus in your life. Because you will be a better worker, you will be a better mom, you will be a better wife, you will be a better daughter, you will be a better sister, you will be a better friend, you will be a better girlfriend, a better fiance, through spending time with Jesus and letting him set your agenda. And I don't think you're ever going to regret that.
So I want to close in prayer and as the music team comes to ask you and bow your head and close your eyes. And I mean, this message, I mean, it's broad. It could apply to many people, but I think especially for women today, if you're here today, and I just ask yourself, is Jesus first before anything else? And how do I know? And is he the one? Do I submit my agenda to him every day? Or am I clogging it up with things that I think are important? You know, my house has to be perfect because someone's coming over. So the Bible sits on the shelf for a little while longer. Can I just, take your heads up for just one more second. Your house doesn't have to be perfect every time someone comes over. Can I just set you free from that? Can I just set you free that sometimes your house being perfect when someone comes over works in the reverse? That they will never invite you over their house because they know their house is never perfect. And so, like, if 80% of the time your house or 90% of the time looks different than it does when other people come over, what do you think they think? You know, if it's showtime 10% of the time and no one ever sees your house lived in, I mean, then what are they going to think? I can never have you over my house because my house doesn't look like this. And those of you that have kids, like now that I have kids, I love it going over someone's house and it's like the house is lived in because I don't feel like you're constantly telling your kids, oh, don't touch this, don't touch it, right? right? You, you feel like you feel some level of comfort. I'm not saying you got to keep your house sloppy. I'm not saying that. But I'm just saying don't get to the place where we forsake relationship because we're, 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 we're getting neurotic over these things in our lives that are created tasks instead of what we were created to do. Don't forsake relationships with people and don't forsake relationships with God. You know, for that. And just because you have a clean house doesn't mean you're forsaking that. I'm not saying that at all. But you know where the line is. You know where the line is. You know where the line in your life is where you say, you know what, I probably didn't need to do that. And I could have spent more time at the feet of Jesus.